Hello everyone, my name is Ed Kemp and welcome to the Speak Up podcast, a podcast for leaders who want to make a difference. The current COVID-19 environment has led to a number of challenges for organisations, including sustaining team alignment, stretched leadership teams and disengaged people. Speak provides CEOs with a tailored and proven approach to sustaining team engagement, encouraging tough conversations and empowering people to deliver outcomes and results. Regardless of the situation businesses face, identifying the critical issues, dealing with the elephants in the room and developing a go-forward plan must happen quickly and repeatedly to drive impactful outcomes. Our experience tells us that whilst embedding sustainable improvements in mindset, behaviours and capabilities is critical, it all starts with getting the team on the same page and engaged. Over the course of Series 1 of Speak Up, you'll hear from highly experienced leaders who will share their views on leadership and team alignment, their challenges, perspectives on what worked, how they've navigated COVID-19 and the cultural issues that inevitably get in the way of being on the same page and staying there. I hope is that these conversations will get you asking yourself one very simple question. Am I on the same page with my team? And if not, how can I help us get there? If you're not sure whether your team is aligned, getting curious is the first step. You can also reach out via our website, www.speak.com, to find out how we can help you and your team get on the same page and stay there to optimise performance. Today's guest is Stu Winspear, a founding partner of Speak. Stu started his career with PwC in Hobart in the early 1990s before transferring to Singapore where he worked in corporate finance across the Asia-Pacific region. Stu's time at PwC led him to a seven-year stint at IBM where he was CFO of their Asia-Pacific operations. After IBM, Stu worked in restructuring, turnaround and transformations in China and the UK before heading back to Australia and starting Speak. An incredibly experienced senior executive, Stu knows what it takes to get the best out of people to optimise performance. Hello, Stu, and welcome to the Speak Up podcast. Describe your journey from a graduate at PwC to working on some of the most complex corporate turnarounds and transformations of the last 20 or so years. Hi, Ed. Good morning. Uh, well, it's been a long time to go back to the start of the PwC days, but uh, I guess started off my career with Pricewaterhouse after graduating in Tasmania and probably worked with them in the corporate finance side of things. And I had the opportunity after a few years there doing my PY during that time, had the opportunity to move to the Singapore office, which was a great opportunity at the time. Typically the Tasmanians go to Melbourne or Sydney, but uh, thought I'd sort of break out of that mould a bit and take the opportunity to go to Singapore. So that worked really well landed there and uh, straight into the Asian economic crisis. So that presented a lot of opportunities working with some of the Singaporean conglomerates where we did a lot of restructuring work over probably the next four years during that time. So that was sort of probably the first real deep dive into the restructuring world and turnaround side of things as well. So. That was a, a great experience and working sort of around the Asia Pacific region with a lot of those opportunities. I think towards the end of that time, things economically had started improving and whilst working with PwC, had the opportunity to do some work with IBM. Turned out that um, they had some need for some internal turnaround work as well. So I started working with them. It was a great opportunity because I think having worked in advisory capacities um, or consulting capacities, sometimes you look at more the theoretical construct on the advice side of things and sometimes practicalities aren't 
as simple as you might think from a conceptual standpoint. So it was a great opportunity to work with IBM. I had about seven or eight years with them in CFO capacities around the region, finishing up in Shanghai in their head office, pretty much working all across Asia with the business I was running there. That was a tremendous experience. And I think looking at how organisations manage global operations, it is a complicated business. There's a matrix to the yin-yang. So it is a complicated business and how the management system works there. You know, once you know how something like that runs a global organisation, everything else looks pretty simple. But it did give you the sort of the Rolls Royce of how business should be run and what the possibilities are as far as you know, structuring an organisation. Uh, so that was a tremendous experience. You know, being in Shanghai, working across China was great as well. So I had the opportunity there. Uh, one of the US restructuring firms was setting up there and had the opportunity to help set up the office there. And as we're going into a, a global turndown again, the timing was right to sort of go back into that turnaround restructuring space. Uh, so shortly after setting up the office there, was probably the start of the global financial crisis. The firm was appointed as a global restructuring office for Lehman Brothers. So that sort of took up the next couple of years working across Asia with some of the, you know, dealing with some of the issues associated with that. Spent some time in London on the, the restructuring side of things and then ended up uh, having the opportunity to come back to Australia. It's one of those things in life that um, when parents are getting older and the children have never spent any time in their country of origin, it was a great opportunity to get back here. So we're fortunate enough to spend a bit of time still traveling offshore, just doing consulting work, but then reconnected with some of my colleagues and done some work in Australia with them, which ended up with the three of us joining Ernst & Young as a as operating partners there and spent some time there getting back into the Australian market, which was a great opportunity and reconnecting with a lot of people that um, I've worked with in the past. So one thing led to another and I think that was where we ended up creating the business we're at now, which is Speak. And if you think about when you turn around and transformation work, when you walk into a business for the first time that is in serious trouble and, and needs a team stood up to go in there and help fix it. What are the things that that you would naturally look to? And when it comes to the businesses and the teams that are in there already, from an alignment perspective, what are the things that you're going to do to help get teams on the same page to give themselves the best chance of fixing the business? Yeah, so typically when we go into a business, it's pretty chaotic and, you know, that's the reason why they're in that situation. A lot of the times we don't have the benefit of time to be able to spend a lot of time understanding the business by going through documents. So invariably, most opportunities we work with or organisations we work with, the first thing that happens is getting the leadership team together and spending you know, time with them one-on-one -on -one to start with because over time, I guess you get an appreciation that for all of these types of situations, no matter what sort of consulting or advisory work you do, the answers are typically on the inside. So there's no point investing a whole lot of time trying to reinvent the wheel. You might as
as well leverage the internal knowledge within an organisation. So typically it involves sitting down, engaging with the leadership team on that one-on-one basis to understand the issues they're dealing with, the elephants in the room, and you know how they see the organisation as far as where it is at the moment and what the opportunities are going forward. And I think that's a typical of most organisations. You know, once that you know got through that, it provides some tremendous insights into you know from a I guess an experiential standpoint. You get to know of the through those conversations which of the big ticket items are going to make a difference to the organisation. So you sort of distill down a lot of that information to be able to take away from the individual conversations, but then getting them together as a team to sort of start drawing on those insights and having some of the challenging conversations around the issues that haven't been dealt with, because I think that's one of the big issues as well, that the tougher ones or the elephants in the room don't get dealt with. And that's invariably uh, a lot of the, the cause behind the underperformance or the distressed situations that these organisations find themselves in. And if you think about themes or issues that keep coming up, there must be some really basic common ones. And I know you spoke about leadership teams being not aligned. How do you go about, A, distilling that into a into kind of bite-sized chunks which can then allow the tough conversations to be had around the leadership table to actually deal with the elephants in the room and start to move forward? Because obviously time's a critical issue in these situations. Yeah, and I think one of the things is that it's amazing just human nature in that crisis situation, uh, starting a conversation with someone that's backs against the wall, that, you know, conversations that having met them for the first time in a lot of instances, uh, asking the right questions, how much information you will get. And it's pretty amazing some of the insights that you get that they probably don't even have those conversations with the rest of the leadership team. So whether that's a, a situational consideration, um, but it doesn't typically happen, but it's pretty extraordinary the insights you can get. And I think that's where having those insights that they wouldn't discuss with the rest of the team to be able to start without naming names on where that information is coming from, but once they're in that group situation, to be able to start putting that on the table and asking the probing questions into areas that people have shied away from because it's too hard or it's too challenging and it's been caused for long periods of time. But I think that's one of the biggest things is to get those big issues on the table so that everyone's having an open conversation that, um, you know, we're dealing with all the issues, we get it all out there, at least then we can understand what we're dealing with to start with. And for someone stepping in for the first time to an organisation, there isn't really any other way of doing it where you can get that done in a short period of time over a couple of days where you can go, okay, at least now I know what I'm starting with to work with the leadership team to then start looking at where the priorities sit and what are the big ticket items that we need to deal with in the immediate term to basically keep the company on a a forward trajectory rather than having your stakeholders pull the pin and go the other other way where you can potentially end up without a business. And the stakeholders are clearly critical. Senior leadership team is certainly a key component of that. But what about boards? Clearly, there's a role for boards to play in this sort of situation. So what are some of the things that 
you've dealt with from a board perspective and what do you consider, certainly in the turnaround and transformation situations, the traits of a, a good board of directors to support you and the management team to try and turn the ship around? Look, I think the boards play an extremely important role as a sounding board and I think it's sort of probably one area in the Australian context that is challenging in that you do tend to have a number of fair weather board members and you'll see that in a lot of situations in Australia where uh, as soon as board positions become challenging and difficult in a distressed situation, there's all the, the potential risks associated with solvent trading and the other different issues that come up with being a board member in that situation. So there is, I guess, you know, the ones that will stay around and see it through and there are some that will, as soon as it gets difficult and challenging, um, don't want the headache, so you often see a number of board members resign. So I think it is important to have that sort of resilience within the board teams to work actively with the leadership teams because, you know, there is a lot at risk from, you know, I guess a personal liability standpoint, reputational standpoint from boards. And I think that's where it's important that board members are not just in crisis situations to really understand the business, but, you know, through the course of running the business on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, to really understand and ask the probing questions into an organisation so they do have a good appreciation of how the organisation works and what are the big ticket um, items that make it a good company or, or not so good company. We spoke earlier about alignment. How important do you place alignment and, and, and for management teams and broader organisations to be on the same page, whether or not it's in a turnaround or transformation situation or just simply the day-to-day -day running? Because clearly being on the same page is important, but staying there is even more important because this is pretty dynamic. It's not something that's just, you know, you have a conversation, you get everybody in a room, they all agree, and then they walk away and it's everything's tickety-boo. There's a lot of things that go into keeping people aligned and making sure they're not diverging away from the plan at hand? Look, alignment is uh, critical because, you know, for performance in any organisation, if people aren't aware of what each of the team members are doing and all heading in the same direction, then the organisation is not going to be performing. So that's 100% critical. I think the big difference is we talk about difference between turnaround or crisis situation and business as usual. I don't think there's a big difference there anymore. If you look at the current environment, we're all in crisis at the moment in one shape or form, whether it be through COVID or the implications of COVID from you know, supply chains or whatever it may be, but every company's challenged. And not only through that, but just the current operating environment, there's so many different aspects of business that are changing rapidly. I mean, if you look at technology and digitization across organizations, every day is different and the companies are having to reinvent themselves every other day and as a consequence of that having to change the way they do things how they do them reskilling workforces and the like so with all of that change planning horizons have completely changed i mean it wasn't that long ago where you'd be looking at a five-year strategic plan that sort of came back to you know probably more like three years and you look at a three-year plan now and you look anything beyond two and you're starting to it's all guesswork. You know, those planning horizons now have become so much more shortened. 
I mean, even looking at an annual plan now is pretty bold to, to try and lock something in. It's almost getting to the point now where you're looking at quarterly cycles. And I think that's where it comes back to that alignment that you have to realign all the time. It's not like you set and forget and have a year's plan and work to that plan throughout. It is changing so quickly that I think, you know, those planning horizons need to be revisited pretty regularly, um, quarterly at a, at a maximum, even shorter, because when you're going through a lot of change, you know, it's got to be pretty even pretty fluid even beyond that sort of quarterly type approach. So I think alignment has to be something that's checked on a, you know, monthly to quarterly at most type basis so that everyone knows exactly where the organisations are going and what is their role in getting there. The environment at the moment, you mentioned it, is it's changing rapidly and you'd argue that certainly COVID, but over the course of the last 10 to 15 years has seen more change in corporates than ever before, purely because of technology and the, and the fast moving pace of the development of technology. Can you talk a little bit about what you've seen as a leader going into an organisation and the way that people cope with change? Because some people thrive on it and other people run a million miles from it. What have you picked up over the course of the last 25 years of, of working in a whole range of different situations from CFO to, uh, to CEO of companies? I think it's changing and, and probably the big consideration there is the ways of work and how people view careers these days as well. And I think, you know, it wasn't that long ago that people would have a career with one organisation. So there's that sort of continuity and routine and not a whole lot of change. People are getting better at change generally, I would say, in that people are a lot more mobile across organisations, so taking on new roles. So having to step into new situations and deal with different situations on a more regular basis. So people, as a general rule, I'd say, are getting better with change. But again, there has to be that sort of catalyst really to push organisations to change. And in fact, it's interesting with some of the larger organisations that we work with that they they almost talk about creating a crisis to be able to make the change um, <laughs> because at least if you've got a crisis then there's always the communications that come around this that has to be done now we've got no other choice it's the survival of the company you know so it's your choice we either the change and we all get on board or none of us may be here in the next you know six 12 months or whatever it may be so it is interesting. I think generally organisations do find it difficult. I think it's a lot easier in a crisis because people know that, you know, it's not the same and we've got to do things differently and we don't have a choice because it's all in survival mode. So people are looking at, do I, am I going to have a job? So there is a lot more, I guess, impetus for them to jump on board and, you know, get aligned get involved, get engaged and work on the solution side of things. I think on a day-to-day -day basis with organisations, I think people are getting better leadership styles are changing as well, which I think then helps facilitate a lot of that change. I think there's a lot more work that goes into, you know, the whole change management, how to get people aligned and the communications 
associated with that because I think that's probably one of the other big things as well, making sure that everyone knows and has an opportunity to you know, call it out if there's issues with the plan so that you know if there's that level of engagement and everyone's aligned, then it makes everything a lot more straightforward than not doing all the legwork and finding that people are sort of still doing their taking the same approach or going down the same path they would ordinarily. When it comes to change, and, you know, and a role of a leader is really to optimise organisational performance. And, you know, you've done a lot of things over the course of your career. Talk to me about creating safe spaces to have tough conversations because in a lot of situations you've had to have pretty robust conversations pretty quickly with probably a lot of people you don't know that well. And also let's talk a little bit about the three or four priorities you'd always look at when you first walked into the CEO's office. But let's start with the tough conversations and the way that you can get them happening in a safe space to make sure you can get the information that you need in order to progress things forward. Yeah, so I'd probably characterise, you know, with the nature of the work I've done over time, you sort of develop a pretty thick skin. So you're used to copying a bit of flack and you don't mind having those tough conversations knowing that some of them aren't going to go so well as well. Uh, look, as far as creating a safe space, I think that's becoming increasingly important as well. And when we talk about a safe space, I think it's just creating an environment where people feel comfortable talking about those things they wouldn't ordinarily bring up. And that is important because it shouldn't just be in a crisis situation. Every organisation should be having those tough conversations and challenging each other because otherwise you're never going to get the best out of a business. If people aren't calling out bad behaviours or bad ideas or at least having the conversations, then you know the business will just run its course without being pulled into line. So it is important. And as I say, I think there's, the way I sort of characterise it is that those tough conversations in times where it's a crisis, I think it's a lot easier because people expect it's going to be tough and we've got to do all the hard things that we wouldn't really want to do or go down the path. As we say, I, you know, you characterise all business with change and crisis. It's all around us and I think it's going to be there for a long time. So it is increasingly important when it's not a crisis to be able to have those tough conversations where as a leadership team or even, you know, the next levels down that people will have the opportunity to provide that input. And I think that sort of comes down to one of the key roles of leaders is to make sure that there is that responsibility. And I think that's one of the things you learn over time that you don't have the answers to everything. And it's always those unheard voices you go, wow, if I'd heard that person's perspective before, I would have been asking them every time because they just never said anything. But now you listen and you hear and you go, why aren't we getting that perspective in every conversation? So I think, you know, that's one of the things that there is a big responsibility of leaders to create that environment. Otherwise, there's no point in having a leadership team if people can't have those tough conversations or inputs into you know, the way the business is going or the way the business is headed or whatever it may be. And what about the, you know, the three or four priorities that, you know, that you'd always look to as a CEO walking into an office? What are the things that you naturally think about 
whether a business is in a, in a crisis or not, what are the key sort of fundamentals you want to look at from a business perspective? Well, I think it's, you know, probably the first thing that we spoke about earlier is know the leaders, know their challenges and getting them together to deal with the elephants in the room and agree on priorities. That's one thing. That's probably the most important thing because at the end of the day, it's that leadership team that are going to be sending the messages down through to their teams and it's important that there is that commitment at that leadership level to hold each other to account once a set of priorities are agreed and how each person is going to contribute to that. So I think that's probably one of the most important things is getting aligned of what the priorities are, who's responsible for what. Then I think on an ongoing basis around having that management system in place to be regularly revisiting, you know, how things are progressing, where resources are needed, because a lot of times, you know, talking about change, there are, you know, capabilities that people don't necessarily have that you need in that sort of situation. So making sure that people have the right resources and the right support to get through it. So I think it's being able to identify and have people have the conversations. And again, having created that safe space to say, look, I'm stuck. I don't know how to do this. Who can I go to for help? But to make that an easy conversation, not something you're a failure because you can't do it, it's like, no, thank you for coming and asking because now I know that we're on this and we're having that conversation that we can actually address the issue. To a certain extent, that comes down to culture and you've been in a bunch of different organisational cultures over time. How important do you believe is culture when it comes to driving high performance in businesses? Absolutely critical. It's interesting, you know, people look at culture as different things and I would sort of characterise culture as being more of an output on the way leaders and managers across an organisation that's, you know, walking the talk. It's all around, you know, how people are perceived in an organisation. There's one thing that, you know, I think culture doesn't change quickly. That's something that the types of role we play, given the short-term nature of turnaround, you know, we're usually there six, 12 months um, cultures are sort of a longer term thing. You start to make some inroads in just how that sort of permeates down through an organisation. But, you know, that's something that is important. I think it all comes down to the way the leaders lead, you know, the type of inspiration in an organisation, that accountability and, and, again, the talking about having the tough conversations and making sure that everyone's feeling like they're in a safe space that they can have those without fear of repercussion so culture to me is absolutely crucial as far as high-performing teams. The only thing now is that there is a lot of work. It's not something that's an overnight fix and I don't think there's a silver bullet for any type of cultural change in organisations. That's just hard work and having you know good leadership, good plans, good communications and good support across the organisation and recognising good outcomes, celebrating the wins and making sure that people are rallying behind the cause. So there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle there and I, and I wouldn't ever sort of say that I've got all the answers to that one. And it is something, though, that when you look at culture in an organisation, that is a big difference, you know, between the high-performing and the average sort of companies. We're going to have to wrap up shortly, Stu, and it's been terrific having a conversation with you. A couple of quick things to finish up with. Describe what you consider to be the biggest challenges leaders face today and do you think 
leaders are equipped to really lead through these challenges? Yeah, the biggest challenges today, I think, come down to the the rapidly changing environment. Uh, there are so many curveballs thrown in there, like the working from home and you know the current situation with lockdowns and what that means going forward. Because I think it is a whole new world. Uh, Zoom and Teams and the the like, it's very transactional in nature. So I think that's going to be one of the biggest challenges. How do you have that sort of ongoing engagement where you're listening in on conversations and there's that real-time communications? I think, you know, talking to a lot of industry, uh, especially in professional services and the like, the biggest challenge there, I think, are going to be what is the career path for graduates and people progressing up through an organisation if you're not physically present and getting all of those peripheral insights into how things are done so I think that's going to be one of the big challenges. Again, I think just with the rapid changes, short, shorter-term time planning horizons, I think there's going to be a big shift in the way management systems work and how we break that down. I was always a big advocate of more of a principles-based approach to running businesses so that you leave that to your managers, you back your managers, you back the organisation below that to get things done. I think that's going to change a bit now as well as we going into this more sort of fluid operating environment. I think there's going to be a lot more requirement to have that sort of greater process as we start to have to change things to get people more into a routine again of how the new world works. So there are a lot of challenges trying to strike that right balance of, you know, running things by setting objectives. Here's what we need to accomplish. It's up to you and how you do it versus this is what we're going to do and this is how we need to do it and actually defining that to sort of really that structure behind how we're going to do things. Because I think, you know, in this day and age, there's so many different options there and I think we do need to get to a point where there's a lot more oversight on how we do things across an organisation. Now, this is the last question and thanks a lot for your time and I ask this of every guest on the Speak Up podcast. Reflecting on your experiences, can you describe what you've learned about leadership and alignment that you wished you knew when you started your career? I was just talking to my partners earlier on in the week. I went out for a row in an eight. It's one of the big races. And I you know, got in a crew. First time eight guys have got together to row and talking about alignment. It was all about performance and high performance and how you can change that. And I think, you know, again, that sort of analogy just comes back to, you know, the things you learn and what I've sort of probably learned most in business is that it's all about those shorter term horizons because sometimes we, we make two longer horizons on what we're going to achieve over too long a period, whereas this is something great because we, you know, it's an 11-kilometre race and it's about 40 minutes, so it's okay, this is what we've got to do and it's a very short time horizon. We know exactly what everyone's got to do and I think, you know, there is that sort of trade-off in business, how much planning and how short of horizons. But if you can break them down to the really important ones so that you know that once it's done, you're going to celebrate it and... Everyone's going to celebrate because I don't think we do that enough in business, celebrating the wins. 
and making sure that we have lots of them. So not just at the end of the year we made the numbers, it's about how we get there and actually looking at some of the components on the way through to actually break it down, make sure we do it, have a win, move on to the next thing. And I think that's sort of the thing that drives some of that cultural aspects in business as well. Just so we're feeling good about it. We've done it. We've actually achieved it and we're all winning. So I think it's really important there to just have those shorter term time horizons, look at how we can have some wins and make it a part of the fun in business these days because I think that's one of the biggest challenges that business is not always fun and it's hard. So better to have some fun there as well. Stu Winsby, thanks very much for joining us. You're welcome, Ed. Good to speak to you. Thank you for listening to episode five of the Speak Up podcast, a podcast for leaders who want to make a difference. Speak supports CEOs and their teams to optimise leadership and performance with a tailored and proven approach that builds trust and delivers outcomes. To find out more, visit www.speak.com, spelled S-P-I-I-Q-U-E. Please keep an ear out for the next episode of the Speak Up podcast and please subscribe and share it with your friends. Until next time, stay healthy, stay safe and stay curious.